great. Happy Father's Day. Can we put our hands together for all the dads? <laughs> thankful for dads and uh, thankful that each of you are here today. Hope you've had a great weekend. Yesterday we had a great time at the Mosaic Man Down event. And uh, thank you, Brandon, for hosting us. Can we put our hands together for that? Some of the men here in this church are a little too good at yard games. I'm just going to say that. Um, I think you've been practicing at home with those things. And uh, if you weren't able to make it out, we miss you. And uh, we are going to have our, our Man Down Retreat where we partner with about seven or eight other churches in October. It's going to be October 13th and 14th. So go ahead and put that on your calendar. We'd love for you to join us. It's been great having these quarterly men's events. Um, it's a great time of hamburgers, hot dogs, steak, pork chops, pork ribs, chips, pie, donuts. I mean, yeah, donuts. Why not? Uh, s'mores, fire. Van did a great talk. He did a great job. JR led us in some worship. We had a great time together. We're continuing our series Disciple, and today we're looking at the idea of being multipliers in the mission of Jesus. This series that we've been in, we've been answering that basic definition of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And simply put, it means to be with Jesus. So we're connected to God through the person and work of Jesus. So we spend time with Jesus. To be with Jesus to become like Jesus. So Jesus did all kinds of things. He lived, died, he sacrificed. He spent time with the disciples. He shepherded people. He discipled people. And so we become like Jesus, and then we do what Jesus did. And essentially this week and next week, we're focused on doing what Jesus did. And Jesus came to multiply, to multiply disciples, so that we would be disciples who multiply disciples who multiply disciples. So the question is, is how do we do that personally? That's what we're answering this week. How do we do that personally? We are multipliers of the mission by living sent. That's our big idea today. We are multipliers of the mission by living sent. So we're looking at that individually this week. And then next week, I'm extending the series one more week, we're looking at how do we do that corporately? How do we do that as a church? As a church, how do we live sent? And if you wanted a little homework, you can read Acts chapter 13. There's a church called the Church in Antioch, and that's the kind of church I hope our church becomes. A church who sends, who sends people across the northern Shenandoah Valley across the country, across the world, to share the hope of the gospel. So that's what we're going to look at next week, but this week we're going to look at John chapter 20. Turn with me to John chapter 20. You can turn it on your screen. You can turn it on if you have a physical copy of the scriptures, or you can look up on the screen for us this morning. John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 23. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, 
peace be with you. Now I'm going to pause for just a second because we need to understand what is going on here. Jesus has died, he was buried, and he's risen from the dead. And the disciples are in an upper room. They're locked behind the doors because they're afraid. They're afraid of the Roman occupation. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. And they're afraid that they're going to be found out that they took the body of Jesus and they had placed him somewhere else so that they could proliferate the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they have, some of the people have eyewitnessed Jesus. Not all of them have seen Jesus. In fact, Thomas at this point has said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead until I see the nail prints in his hand and on his feet. And so at this point, there are some who have seen Jesus. There are some who have not seen Jesus and they are afraid. And Jesus shows up. Can you imagine that moment? Jesus comes and he stands among them. They're all just kind of milling around, hanging out. It's kind of like what we were doing last night. Guys kind of standing in groups. Hey, how's your day? Good. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went fishing. And uh, what'd you do? Well, you know, I've been running around hiding from the Romans and the Jews. Oh, Oh, Jesus. You're here too? Can you imagine this moment when they all look around and realize Jesus is in their midst hanging out with them? And he says, peace be with you. I mean, there's all kinds of things that Jesus could have said. The first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. That's amazing. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Like, hey, it's me. I'm here. I actually came back. I actually rose from the dead. It's me. He showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, for you forgive the sins of, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Incredibly difficult verse to understand. We're going to dig down a little bit into that this morning and hopefully understand this. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and ask God to help us understand this passage. Father, we thank you for your words this morning. God, we thank you for sending your son to be the savior of the world. We thank you that you have left us here as your followers to be multipliers of the mission. Help us to see from the text this morning how we do that by living sent. God, I pray for those who are here today that may not know you, that they would hear the good news this morning. The good news that you live for us, you died for us, you were buried and you rose from the dead, and that there are a host of people who are called to be missionaries to them this morning, so that they would see the good news this morning and receive it just in time. God, I pray for us as followers of Jesus that we would leave here today sent and live sent as 
messengers of the hope of the gospel. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. How many of you know who Agatha Christie is? Anybody? Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie was a a famous fictional author who wrote murder mysteries, of which her famous story is known as what is called the Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, She wrote this book in 1934, um, but what many people don't know about Agatha Christie is that book almost never came to be because in 1926, she went missing for 11 days. In 1926, she went missing and for 11 days, they searched for her They found her car, and they searched, and they searched, and finally, 11 days after, she was discovered 200 miles, 320 kilometers from where her car had been abandoned. Christie claimed to have no recollection of where she had been or what had happened during those 11 days. After Christie was located and identified, by her then-husband, Archibald, he said to the newspaper in an interview that she had suffered from what was known as complete loss of memory. She not only did not know who she was, she did not know who her husband was. Scientists call this psychoamnesia. But... What many years later people discovered is she had discovered that her husband had cheated on her and it was selective amnesia. Eleven days after she was found, she began to recognize who she was and who her husband was. In the interview he said she has suffered from most complete loss of memory. I do not think she knows who knows who she is, and she does not know me, and she does not know where she is. I'm hoping that rest and quiet will restore her. Christy had suffered from amnesia. Whether it's a difficult experience or a traumatic experience, there are moments where some of us have selective amnesia. And when it comes to us being disciples, I think if we're not careful, we can actually have what I have termed discipleship amnesia. That Jesus gives us some clear directives here in John chapter 20 about who we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to live. And yet, if we look at our lives and who we are and how we actually engage in the message and the mission of Jesus, I think if we're honest, many of us suffer from discipleship amnesia. Jesus, in this moment, is coming to his disciples. And in the aftermath of a traumatic event, he shows up and twice he says, peace to you. But he gives them a directive. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. This passage is moving when you think about it because he tells them that he gives them peace. 
He gives them a directive, but then he gives them the Holy Spirit. Pentecost hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't fallen in what is seen as tongues of fire that you see in Acts chapter 2. But in this moment, he breathes on them. He gives him a part of himself, the Holy Spirit. And he says, now go and do what I'm calling you to do. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That statement is an extremely significant statement at the end of John's Gospel because Jesus' primary identity throughout the Gospel of John has been the sent one. From the beginning, God sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. From the very first verse in the book of John to the end of the book of John, we see this Savior who is Jesus, who is the sent one. He is sent to be the Savior of the world. And here at the end, He says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The next time you read through the Gospel of John, circle the word sent anytime it appears. You will find that it's there more than 60 times. The book of John is all about Jesus being sent to be the Savior of the world, and he ends the book by sending you and I. Everything we do as followers of Jesus flows out of the baseline identity that Jesus had, which is he was sent. So, in other words, our identity as disciples isn't that we come to the message of the gospel that it is just personally for me. The reality is, is we don't come to church just for you and me. We come as sent ones, sent to be messengers that we know who the Savior of the world is. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we will multiply by being sent. You see, there's a difference between a believer who trusts in Jesus for their salvation and a disciple who lives sent on mission for him. There are some of us who are in this room who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior and we're a believer. But then there are some of us who are disciples of Jesus and there's a difference. You see, a disciple is one who lives sent who lives, who spends time with Jesus, who becomes like Jesus, and who does what Jesus did does. This is what it means to be a disciple. There's a stark difference between a disciple of Jesus and a believer of Jesus. In these final conversations with his disciples, Jesus passes on the primary identity of being a sent one to us, to all of us. To be disciples means to be sent. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you see a version of the Great Commission found in Acts 1.8. And one of the things that strikes me is Jesus could have said a lot of things. He said, You are to be, uh, he could have said, You are to be my worshipers. But Jesus doesn't say that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Jesus could have said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you are to be my prayer warriors. But he doesn't say that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you see what Jesus says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus does not say that his disciples are worshipers. We are. He doesn't say that you are prayer warriors primarily. We are to be those. He doesn't say you are to be my Sunday morning church attenders, my Bible studiers, or my justice advocates. He says all those are things that are true, but he says you are my witnesses. Jesus chose to say witnesses because when you look at the word witness, it literally means sent one. To give witness, to bear witness, to be sent to give a message. Our primary identity is the primary identity that Jesus had, which is being sent. So this weekend, I want to unpack for us what it means to live a sent life. You can write this down. Number one, to live a sent life means that sent people recognize God's role and their role in the Great Commission. So he's given us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, but we see it again in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 we just read. And the commission is to be his witnesses, to live sent. So as sent people, we have to recognize God's role and our role in the Great Commission. See, here's the deal. Sent people understand that God has a role and that we have a role. And both are indispensable. Did you know this? As followers of Jesus, your role is indispensable as disciples. It means only you can fulfill the role that you were designed for. This is what this means. There's not a single person in this room who is a disciple of Jesus that does not have a purpose. Every single one of you have a purpose. It might be hard to see. It might be hard to recognize. It might be hard to identify. But it doesn't mean you don't have one. Each and every one of us have a purpose. And God has left us here to fulfill the purpose of being witnesses. So, if we're going to do this, there are four convictions that undergird this sent life of embracing God's role in our role. Number one, God is always at work around us, drawing people to himself. God is always at work. God's at work when you're sitting at the coffee shop. God's at work at your workplace. God's at work with your kids. God's at work in your neighborhood. God's at work at the party you're going to go to later today, God is at work. And here's the good news. Bringing others to Jesus is not on you. God does that. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws. He's just asking you to be a witness. To be a witness of what he has done. And the more good news is that Jesus says in John 5, verse 17, that the Father is always at work around you, 
doing that work. He just wants you to show up and say, hey, God's at work. God's at work. He loves you. On the back of my phone, I have this sticker that just says, I have good news. I've got good news. And I have this on my phone, and people ask me, well, what's the good news? The good news is that God loves you. Even on my phone, I'm able to bear witness to the good news that God loves them, that God cares for them, that God lived for them, that God died for them, that God rose from the dead just by having a a sticker there and trying to be respectful when I'm at a coffee shop or in a meeting. I just place it like this. When I go up to the cash register, I just place it down and I pay for my coffee. And every time it's like, what's your good news? Well, let me tell you, I've got good news. You and I have good news, and God is always at work around us. And if we're going to embrace our role, we need to recognize that God is always at work. Whether we can see him at work or not, he is always at work. The Father is the one that draws. He's the one that creates interest. He's the one that convinces that this is all God's work. Our responsibility is to just be a witness. The second conviction, God uses people to lead others to Jesus. It's true that God is the one that's doing the work, but at the same time, you have an indispensable role, and that's to be a witness. We can't get around this. This is not like a Choose your own adventure when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus clearly states in John chapter 20 that as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So how did, Jesus, how did God the Father send Jesus? As a servant, to serve, as a messenger, to share the truth, as a sacrifice, to lay down his life. Why? So that we could have an eternal relationship with God. So as the Father sent the Son, so he's sending us to be servants, to be messengers, to be sacrificial. God uses people to lead others to Jesus. The scripture is clear that faith comes by hearing and the hearing of the word of God. And we're the ones that sow the word into people's lives, but God produces the fruit. So we're farmers, every single one of us. We're sowing gospel seeds, giving witness to who God is and what he's done for us. Every single one of us, because that's exactly who Jesus was. So God is always at work around us, drawing people to himself, God uses people to lead others to Jesus. Number three, God continually invites us into this work. He invites us into this work. He says this here in the text. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I love this because Jesus embraced his God-given identity, his designed identity. He has no beginning, no end. His identity was a son 
fully established in a relationship with the Father who understood his identity coming here was to be the Savior of the world, to bear witness to who the Father was, to give us the Spirit so that we could have everlasting life. He had a fully formed, established identity. And he's saying, you should have that too. You should have that too. And I invite you to embrace that identity. And by doing that, you will embrace it and invite others to do the same. See, Jesus gives us this difficult verse in verse number 23. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So you're, you're, you might be asking, so does, does Jesus give us the authority to forgive sins? No. He gives us the authority to proclaim the forgiveness that he has. So we go out as messengers, as witnesses. Did, did Peter have the authority to forgive sins when he stood up at Pentecost? Did he have the authority to give people the Holy Spirit? No, he was just a messenger of the forgiveness that he had already received. And so are we. We just invite people to receive the saving work that Jesus has already provided. And so I think this curious phrase of if we withhold it is about our witness. If we withhold our witness and we, if we withhold the message that God has given us, Think about the numbers of people who will be outside the forgiveness that God provides. Why? Because he's called us to be witnesses. Essentially, what is being said is that the Bible says if you believe in Jesus, you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And we are here to tell others about it. They can't know about it unless we tell them about it. Sure, God could write it in the clouds. He could do all kinds of miraculous things like he did in Paul's life, but he has called you and I to be witnesses. To live sent is to be a witness, to be a messenger, to be a sent one. That is our identity. So God is always at work around us, drawing people to himself. God uses people to lead others to Jesus God continually invites us into the saving work by being messengers, but God sovereignly has placed us where we are for his purposes. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, Paul tells us that he has arranged the locations and the boundaries of our life. In other words, God has ordained that you live in the area that you live for the purpose of being a witness. That it's not an accident. That sure, you like living here, or maybe you don't, and you just find yourself here, and this is just a stopover point. Whatever way you look at it, God placed you here. He put you here today. He will put you where you live tomorrow, that there is not anything that is outside the sovereignty of God. And in his sovereignty, he has placed you where you are, not for your pleasure, but for his purposes. In other words, your profession, your neighborhood, your hobbies, your gym, your jujitsu, your friendships, your hangouts, 
the place that you like to go, the coffee shop, the dive bar, whatever it is, God has ordained sovereignly for you as disciples to be sent to those locations to be a witness, to be a messenger. So here's the deal. Sent people always have on their radar where God is at work because they understand their role in the Great Commission is to be a witness. And they understand God's role is to save people, is to change people, is to transform people. Can we get an amen this morning? I know you're tired, but can we give an amen that Jesus saves people, that he's invited us, that he's called you? That was like a golf clap. I know the U.S. opens today, but Jesus is the one who does that, and he has placed you where you are to be his witnesses. So the question is, When you look at your profession, your neighborhood, your hobbies, your gym, your hangouts, what do you see? What people do you see? What needs do you see? What opportunities do you see? God is calling every one of you disciples individually to be sent as messengers, as witnesses. My second point, as we wrap up this morning, the first one is sent people recognize God's role and their role in the Great Commission. Number two, sent people listen for the Holy Spirit and act. We've said this this whole series, that the message of Jesus is not complicated, but it's hard. This passage is so straightforward and clear. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. As disciples, we are to be witnesses. He has a role that's saving and changing people. We have a role that's being witnesses and messengers. That's really simple. It's not that complex, but it's hard. And because it's hard, Jesus gives us a helper. He says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And their responsibility after receiving the Holy Spirit is to just act, to just be a messenger of the hope of the gospel. So sent people listen for the Holy Spirit and they act. Right after Jesus says, the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Twice he says, peace be with you. Jesus was filling them with the Holy Spirit because you and I can't live sent without him. He gave you all the help you need. You say, you don't understand how I talk and my inability to interact with people or I'm socially awkward. That's okay. You have the Holy Spirit. You say, you don't understand. I'm just a stay-at-home mom and and like I, I got all these kids and I'm wiping snotty. No, that's okay. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. He said, you don't understand, I'm, I'm, I'm a broke college student and I don't have all the resources to take people out to coffee and be a witness. Guess what you have? You have God in your being. He's given you himself. He's given you the spirit to help you be a witness. The truth is Jesus was filling them with the Holy Spirit because you can't live sent without him. 
Being sent is not about doing great things for Jesus. Being sent means yielding yourself to the Spirit to be used by Him. It's about yielding to Him. It's about being perceptive to where He's at work around you and joining Him. I guarantee you this. We talked about this last night around the fire. You won't be His witnesses if you get up every day and you don't pray. I guarantee you, you won't be his witnesses if you don't spend time with him in the word. I guarantee you, you won't be his witnesses if what you care about more is your progress in your career. But I can guarantee you this, if you get up every morning and you say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the truth of this word and to see the people you want me to share it with. I guarantee you, you'll begin to see the world differently. You'll begin to see your, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers differently because you have asked him to help you do what he's already asked you to do. He loves you that much that he would give you himself to help you accomplish the mission he has left you here to do. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 5, I never do things on my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing around me. So how do we do what Jesus did? We do exactly what he did. We are dependent upon the Father, the work of the Son, and trusting that the Holy Spirit will empower us to be messengers, to be sent ones. So here's the deal. You and I are not trying to do things for Jesus. We're trying to do things with Jesus through the Spirit. You see, there's, there's not a single one of us that could do enough to cause God to love us more. That's the good news. And there's nothing we could do to cause God to love us less. So we just join Him in being messengers of that truth and that love. And we get to work and go to work with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you and I may not think that we have much potential or ability, but it's not about that. It's not about what you can do for God. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do through you. You see, Jesus' main identity in the Gospel of John is the sent one. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we are sent to others like Jesus was sent to us. That's our motivation as disciples. To be witnesses. To be messengers. Not to be worshipers, primarily. Yes, we are to do that. Not to be prayer warriors, primarily. Yes, we are to pray. Not to be Sunday morning church attenders. It's great when you show up. But that's not the primary. Not to be Bible studiers or justice advocates. But as disciples, we are to live sent as messengers, as witnesses. Jesus died 
to be the Savior of the world. But that death does no good if no one hears about it. Martin Luther said this. He said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Theologian Carl F. H. Henry said this, the gospel means good news, but it's only good news for someone who gets it to them in time. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Let that sink in. I shared that quote last night around the fire. It only matters if they get it to them in time. Who needs that just-in-time message? To live as sent ones, we cannot forget that we are witnesses. So the question is, have you experienced discipleship amnesia? Have you forgotten who you were? Who God has made you? How he has saved you? And how he's changed you. The worst way to live our lives is to have an extended version of what Agatha Christie experienced, which is to live our life not knowing who we are, where we're from, and what our purpose is. Can you imagine if she never came out of that, we wouldn't have experienced some of the, the great mystery novels to ever have been written. But more importantly than that, if you don't come out of your spiritual discipleship amnesia, imagine the individuals who will die separated from God. That's not meant to be a message of shame or fear or guilt, but it's meant to shake us into the reality of what God has called us to, to live as Holy Spirit-filled witnesses, multipliers of the mission of Jesus by living sent. That's what a disciple is. And you can choose to be a worshiper, a Sunday morning church attender, and never choose to be what Jesus intends for his disciples. And there's a better life. And that better life is a Holy Spirit, empowered, filled witness of the message of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray? This morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I love this. It's perfect with this passage. It's perfect because this meal represents what Jesus came to do as the sent one. He came to be the savior of the world. And when we celebrate this meal together, we do it in remembrance. And we do it waiting to celebrate it anew with Jesus and his kingdom. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. The bread represents the body of Jesus broken for us. So this morning we have this opportunity to celebrate what Jesus has done for us and his life that was laid down for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to share this meal with us in just a moment. I'm gonna pray and then we'll come forward, grab the elements, come back to our seats and we'll take it together as a family. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd encourage you to, to not come get it. To, to sit in your seat and to reflect upon what you've heard this morning. This church exists in this community to invite everyday people to surrender everything to live, love, and labor for the glory of Christ. That's why we're here. We're here to share that good news with you. And the best thing you, to do, you could do today is to receive that good news, to say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, 
to be my Lord, my Savior, and my God. And to thank Him for His forgiveness that He provides freely for you at great cost. He's paid for it. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And He invites you to receive His forgiveness today and to receive everlasting life and to join in in this great mission of being witnesses. That's what He invites you to do today. So would you pray with me as we get ready to receive the Lord's Supper?